Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So when I was in high school, um, I, I, I had become a Christian in junior high, and so in high school time, I'd, I'd gotten connected to several small groups. I was a part of a youth group, and, and there were a few Bible studies that I would attend, and I was a part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which, which had a huddle at our school. So like during the week, I had several groups that I was kind of meeting with on a regular basis. And um, one of the things that I noticed, like we, we would gather and we were um, you know, in relationship, we were friends, but we were always studying the Bible, like that was one of our patterns, and we'd always pray together. And I'm curious, if, if you've been a part of a smaller group, um, you, you probably have participated in, in prayer sharing and, and prayer requests and, and praying together. I'm curious, have you heard this before? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. I'm curious, have you prayed that? Have you heard someone pray that before? This is Matthew 18, verse 20. And it's the verse that we're going to study today. And it's this, again, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now, we're in this series called Misinterpreted Verses, and we're looking at different verses in the scriptures that sometimes we, we might hear or be familiar with, but maybe we don't quite understand fully what they're pointing to. And so we want to look throughout this series at different verses and, and help um, kind of flesh out, like, what, what's going on here? Like, what, what is Jesus teaching us? What, what are the apostles or, or the writer, whatever? What are they trying to, to tell us with each one of these verses? And so we've kind of got two objectives that we're attempting to accomplish each week. And, and the first one is this. We want to understand the verse that we're looking at. We're gonna, we want to have the proper understanding of it. And so we're going to do our work and we're going to understand, like, okay, what does this verse really mean? And then we want to do another thing while we're learning how to read this verse. We want to learn how to read the Bible. And so we're picking up skills along the way that help us be able to read the Bible well, read it in context, read it as it's meant to be read. So those are our two objectives for this, this series, and we're trying to do that each week. Well, today, we're getting to this verse. And you're probably wondering, it's like, okay, what's wrong with this one, right? Like, we're, we're doing this series, like, I, I, you know, I hear this, it's like, well, what's wrong with this one now, right? Well, that's what we're going to open Matthew 18 up, and we're going to understand what is this verse all about. So, like, how do we understand it? What does it mean? And to do that, I'd like to start by talking about, like, what's the popular understanding of this verse? Like, when you hear it, what, what's the common thing that most people are thinking? So let's, let's start there. And I'll just summarize it this way. These are my words. Like, this is how I would capture it. If we're with believers, with other believers, Jesus is with us. That's essentially what it's saying, right? Like, if, if we're with a group of people, if we're other believers, especially if we're praying together, Jesus is there with us. That's what he says, Right? This is actually true. This is a verse that we kind of get right, right? So like where two or three are gathered, Jesus is with us. Yeah, that is absolutely true. So we kind of get this one right. So you're kind of wondering, it's like, okay, then why are we talking about it? Why is this a misinterpreted verse? I think the problem is not so much with the idea, but the implications. So here, here's my train of thought, if you will, so kind of follow along with me for a moment. Here's how I'd take this verse and kind of run forward with it, like go into 
Well, what are the implications of it? So Jesus tells us this, this idea in Matthew 18 to remind us that, that prayer, like when we gather together, like we're gathering with believers and there's something that's happening there. There's, there's some spiritual strength. Yeah. Like when we're gathered together and we're praying, we're praying about the same thing. Like, man, there's something happening. There's some, there's some spiritual energy there. There's, there's some, some gusto and, and, and some movement there, right? Like when we're with other people, there, there's some spiritual energy there. And if there's more people, then there's probably greater spiritual energy, right? Like if there's two or three of us, cool, but if there's 10 of us, or hey, a whole group of people right now, like we're all praying the same thing, like, oh man, there's got to be a lot that's happening there, right? Like there's, there's, there's some good stuff that, that, that's taking place. And if there's, you know, maybe some greater energy, then maybe God, like maybe he's feeling it a bit more. Maybe he's paying more attention. Maybe we're, we're kind of calling him to, hey, come listen to us over here. Like, and he's hearing us. Like there's, there's something that's really happening and maybe if you're in a small group, but you get that right person there with you, like the strong prayer warrior, it's like, oh, man, now we're humming. Like, yeah, they're in the room with us. Like, mm, this is good, yeah? I'm curious, is this the kind of line of thinking? Because let's go backwards in that. Well, let's say that's all true, but, oh, if they're, that person's not here. Or, or oh, it's a kind of a smaller group today. Or, or really, it's just me by myself, then hmm, that's a dropping down of the spiritual energy, if you will. There's less spiritualness that, that's taking place. Like, if it's just me by myself, then maybe, maybe I'm not drawing God's attention as much. Maybe this idea alone, I'm not good enough for God to hear me. I'm not good enough for him to be with me. I need other people there, because otherwise he's not going to pay attention. When I was younger, kind of like eight or nine, I don't remember exactly how old I was, and I don't remember exactly all that happened, but I just remember there was like a stretch in, in school where I felt like I was kind of getting made fun of and just kind of having a hard time. And uh, I, I don't remember all the circumstances kind of when it happened, but I remember this moment. I remember one night I was in my room. It was right before I was going to bed, and I, I prayed. I was like, God are you there? Like, right now, I don't really feel like you are. But, but I, I think you're there. And if you are, like, do you hear me? Do, do you see me? Do you see what's happening? Like, I don't really feel like you're there. Why is that? Have you prayed that before? Have you been in that moment where it's like, I feel alone. And maybe God's not listening. Maybe I don't have enough people around me who are calling his attention. Like maybe I just don't warrant his eyes to look at me. Have you been in those moments where it's like alone? I don't feel like I'm good enough. I think sometimes. We can take a verse like Matthew 18, 20. Hear the good news, like when we're gathered together with other believers, oh, Jesus is there. But sometimes, subtly, we think this is true. 
we, we kind of build in, in into our minds like, oh man, if, if I'm alone, like, it's kind of down here. Or maybe it's, there's a little bit, but if I got other people like, oh, functionally, we're operating as if this were true. Now, admittedly, I'm kind of building a straw man kind of argument. Like, there's a few holes in this, but like, I think getting to this idea, like, is this not sometimes true for us? Do we not go in seasons or have moments in life where it's like, alone, I'm just not worthy? You see, the problem, the problem with this verse is not the idea, not the idea that Jesus is with us when we're gathered with other people, but rather it's our application of it. I think sometimes we think like, oh, if this is true, then the reverse must be not true. Or, or we think like, oh man, if, if I'm with like spiritual people, like there's a lot happening, then when I'm not, then, then it's less. And we begin to subtly think this idea alone, I'm not good enough. And here, let me, let me throw uh, another verse. So like we've got Matthew uh, 18, 20, but verse 19, right before it. Here's what Jesus says. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I'm curious if you hear that and then you hear the next verse, you're like, well, my prayers aren't being answered. Hmm. Maybe I'm just not warranting God's attention. Now, last week we talked about this whole asking thing. And if you weren't here, go back and listen to it on our website. We talk a lot about like what, what does it mean for us to ask and why do we get some things and not other things and how does all that work? But here it's, it shows up again. But then he makes this comment like, for where there are two or three in my name, I'm with them. And I think sometimes we think, like, if I'm alone, that might be in jeopardy. So again, the problem with this verse is not that it's not true. It actually is. The problem is our application of it. It's the application. It's the implications that we sometimes run with. So how do we apply Matthew 18.20? Like, how do we understand what Jesus is pointing to here? What, what, what is this that we need to understand? So here we get to our skill for the day. Here's, here's the skill that I want us to grow in as we read the Bible. It's this, apply according to context. Apply according to context. This is a way that helps us make sure we're getting at what Jesus, what the writer, what, what the Bible's trying to point us towards. We, we get to that place where it's like, oh, okay, here's what I'm supposed to, t to walk away with. Now, this is a hard skill, and it's, in some ways, it's kind of a lifelong journey of how we apply the Bible. We're learning to do that. But as we've been talking about in this series, we've been learning that context is really important. And so if you've been with us the whole series, you know, like, okay, I get it, context. Yes, that matters. So what we do is we read in context, literary context, the verses before and after. We don't just pull out a, a sentence or a statement and just say, like, okay, this is what I'm working with. Like, we pay attention to what comes before and after. That's literary context. We also pay attention to the history, what's happening at the time. We, we know, like, when is this written and, and what was the situation because how that, you know, might ha all that stuff might inform what's being said. So we pay attention to historical context. 
And then we also, the third skill we learned, is we don't want to read into the Bible our own assumptions, our own thoughts, like, oh, this is what it must mean. But rather we read out of the Bible. We let it tell us and give evidence for, here's how you understand it, here's how you apply it. So today, we read and apply in context. And so we're going to do that in just a minute. We're going to see the context of Matthew 18 and this verse, how it helps shape our understanding. But let me give you two examples that, that might kind of connect the dots for how this all works. So two of them, pretty quick, I think you're going to get there. So the first one I want to talk about is Matthew 5. It's where Jesus is talking about an Old Testament text, eye for an eye. You're probably familiar with that. So Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42, this is what he says. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Pause there. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is building on an Old Testament idea. It's in a couple of places, once in Exodus, but also in Leviticus 24, where the law is being read and communicated. It's like, okay, when someone injures you, when there's harm that takes place, if someone plucks out your eye, you take their eye, or a foot for a foot, a hand for a hand, a life for a life. Now, you just hear that on its own. What do you think? Well, if they pluck out my eye, I get to pluck theirs out. And that's how some people have interpreted this verse, right? It's like, well, it gives me warrant. Here's what I can do to you. A little history. In this time, when this was written, this is a nomadic culture. It was not like it is for us today. Like, people didn't have the kind of structure the kind of laws, the the kind of um, society in such a way that, like, man, law and order, like, it it permeated land. No. It's a bit of a free-for-all. And so if you get somebody who harms you, what do you think you're going to do? Well, you do that to me, I'm going to do this to you. And then there's retaliation, and it's escalating, and it continues. Like, that's what happens, right? I mean, just go look at the elementary playground. You know, someone hurts, and now they're going to go one up the other, right? That's our human tendency, God offers this idea, eye for an eye, as limitation. You can't just do whatever you want. You plucked out my eye, I'm going to cut off your hand. You hurt me, I'm going to, like, we don't escalate. Rather, there is limit. Justice is served when we honor how God wants us to work. So we only take an eye for an eye. It's not a whole head or a whole arm, like, There's limiting. So what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that idea, that limiting factor, let me just help you understand it more fully. So he goes on. Keep reading in verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Here what Jesus is doing is he's taking the heart of what this eye for an eye thing is all about. It's not about one-upmanship, it's not about escalation, but rather it's about limitation. It's preserving life. It's preserving a way of being. And so what he's saying is, like, what this whole idea is, like, we're not to take retribution. 
We're not to take matters into our own hands. We're even to go the other way. We're to, like, give freely. So what Jesus is doing here is he's taking the natural progression. He's applying this text according to the way that it was intended. You pull it out, it's like eye for an eye. Okay, I can do, you know, whatever I want to the same measure. No, no, no. The point is to de-escalate, to minimize, to not cause further harm. And you want to continue that? Give when someone asks you. If they, if they want you to go one mile, go two. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is doing. So right here, he's applying the text in the right sort of way. Let, let me give you another one, also in the Sermon on the Mount. This one is talking about murder. So Matthew 5, and, and Jesus is talking about, here's like you've heard it said, do not murder. So verse 21, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone that is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. See, like this idea, don't kill anybody. Like what that's all about. We, we can, like, yeah, don't take someone's life. Don't murder them. We, we can get that. But what's behind that really? See, Jesus, he's, he's taking that natural next application step. So you're like, don't be angry in your heart. Well, how does he get there? Remember where this comes from. This is the law. Don't murder anybody. Don't kill anybody. Don't take life. Why? Because God says, I am a God of life. I created the whole world. I made everything, and I filled it with life. I am a life-giving God. I want you to be a life-giving people, not a life-taking people. So not only is he saying, like, don't take life physically, like, don't murder someone, but don't be a life-taking kind of person. And if you're angry at your brother, if you're angry at your sister, you're putting them in a life-taking kind of place. Don't take life. Don't remove it. Don't tear it down, but rather build it up. That's why Jesus can make this step. But it's easy for us just to read something in isolation, like, oh, don't murder. That's it. No, the point or where it's going is to say, apply it like this. Be a life-giving person. So here, Jesus is making those two moves, those two application steps, naturally. It's part of the spirit of the text, part of what it's going after. And so we want to do the same thing. We want to pay attention to its context. Why is this being said? That is one of the best questions we can ask. When we read a verse, when we read a text, we say, okay, why? Why is this here? What's behind it? That right there is one of the best ways that we can apply in context. So we'll get into this a little bit more, but like what I want to do now is look at Matthew 18, look at our text today, and just answer the question, what is this all about? What is Matthew 18.20 really all about? So if you're not already there, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, Matthew 18. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. So if you're there, follow along with me. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, then you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Verse 18. Truly I tell you, 
Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. That's the context. It's about relationships. It's about reconciliation. When there's, there's sin, there's brokenness in a relationship, this is where Jesus makes this claim where two or three are gathered. I'm with them. That just opens up a whole new door, doesn't it? See, Jesus, he's, he's giving us a true idea when it comes to prayer and small groups. And yeah, we're two or three gathered. I'm there. But what he's talking about is reconciliation in relationships. And so, a little bit more context. Like, what else is happening in the rest of the chapter? See, the, apostles, or the, the disciples, they come to Jesus, said, hey, who's kind of the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus calls over a young child and said, this, this one is the greatest in the kingdom. Someone like a child. And if you cause that child to stumble by your sin, by what you do, ah, oh, that, that's not a good thing. Like, don't undermine the kingdom. And then he tells a parable of the lost sheep. It's like if, if a shepherd loses his sheep, like he's going to go after them. So like we want to be like that. And then he makes this statement. If there's a, a sin between you and another, go and work it out. And if it doesn't work, then bring a couple others to help you and, and then take it to church. But like ultimately be people who pursue reconciliation, who pursue forgiveness. And then right after our text, right after he makes this statement where two or three are gathered, then Peter's like, times should we forgive people? Seven times? No, no, no. Seventy times seven. And then he tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. This king has a servant, huge debt. He forgives it. But then that servant goes to another servant and says, hey, you owe me 20 bucks, and gets mad at him. And, and the king hears about this. He's like, you're missing the point. Jesus is saying, we need to be that kind of person. We need to be forgiving kind of people. This is all that's happening in this chapter where Jesus makes this claim, two or three are gathered, I'm there with you. He is offering this idea, this truth, as encouragement. Jesus is with us in reconciliation. When there's brokenness in relationship, he is there helping us to walk through it. That's what he's wanting to say. That's this verse, verse 20, when two or three are gathered, I'm with you, I'm with you in reconciliation. You, you, hopefully you picked up in that text the, the mention of two or three, that kind of small group. It was mentioned a couple of times. This is actually building on the Old Testament. So in Deuteronomy, in two places, chapter 17 and chapter 19, there's this idea that when there is a dispute, when there's something that's brought before the court, when you have two or three witnesses, that matter is established. Like this is trustworthy. And what Jesus is doing here is he's taking that to say, when two or three people agree, like, okay, now we've established something. And what he's saying is not so much like, okay, they witness everything so they can prove here's what happened, but rather this person who's, who's at fault, like two or three people are coming and say, hey, we want to work towards restoration. And when we do that, I am with you. There's another idea, kind of in rabbinic literature. It's when two people are studying the law. They're you know, kind of sitting on either side of a table, and the law is in between them. 
the, the presence of God is said to be with them right there in the middle. Jesus is taking that to say, God's presence is with you. I am that presence. I am with you when you're pursuing reconciliation. When two or three are gathered, when you're working towards restoration, I am with you. I'm with you. This is encouragement. This is what Jesus wants us to see. I don't know about you. Um, I imagine you've had to have tough conversations with people before, right? I mean, if you remember back, it's like, oh boy, this happened, and I know I'm going to have to go talk to that person. What's that feel like? For me, when I hit those moments, I'm like, I'm dreading it. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. It's hard. You know, they're probably going to be mad at me, and, and there's probably going to be misunderstanding, and we're going to have to, to work through the disagreement, and, and it's probably going to hurt them, and, and it's just going to be really hard, and you just kind of want to avoid it, right? Like, you just go, oh, can we just get by and not bring it up? Like, have you had that feeling where you just, you want to avoid the conflict? You want to avoid the, the confrontation? I think what Jesus is doing here is to say, you're going to feel that. You're going to want to avoid it. Let me give you courage. I am with you. I'm with you in that reconciliation. It's meant to be a spurring forward not hold back, not to like shy away from it, but like actually step forward. Okay, I'm going to do it. That's what he's trying to do here with this verse. But as we, we said earlier, this verse is true even just in isolation. Like when we're gathered with other people, Jesus is with us. Yes, that is true. So let's come back to our, our misunderstanding, if you will. What, what Jesus is wanting to say is like, I'm with you when you're gathered with other people, but the opposite is not necessarily true. When you are alone, that doesn't mean I'm not with you. That is wrong. What Jesus is building on, and the key idea that I want you to walk away with, is that Jesus is with us always. Always. Jesus is with us always. He's using this verse to apply it to a particular situation, reconciliation. It's not meant to say, like, oh, when you're with other people, then, hey, I'm, in, I'm a greater presence with you. No, 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 no. I'm with you always. How do I know this? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. When we begin to follow Jesus, when we trust him, the Holy Spirit comes into us. The Holy Spirit is, is Jesus' presence living inside of us. He is with us. When we trust him, when we begin following him, that happens. And we have him forever. There is nothing that we can do that separates us from him. His love, his grace, his challenge, his work in our hearts and lives is always present. This is what the Bible points to. Jesus even talked about that. Uh, soon after this, he's going to be in the upper room with his disciples the night before he's going to die. And he gives them these, like, I, I need to just tell you a few key things. I'm leaving, but I'm not abandoning you. When I'm gone, I'm going to send the Spirit. And he's going to come on you. He's going to reside with you, and you will be with him forever. Jesus is with us. The Spirit is with us. When we trust and follow him, nothing changes that. 
Nothing can separate us from him. This is what the Bible is pointing towards. So it's not that when we're by ourselves, like, oh, Jesus is with us. No, 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 we have the Spirit. He is with us. So when we're praying by ourselves, it's the same as if we're praying with other people. We are together with the Spirit always. So you might be able to say, okay, well then why do we pray together? Or like, what's that all about? There is something that happens when we gather to pray with other people. But it's not that, oh, now we have Jesus' presence. It's not that. We always have Jesus' presence. What happens is we are experiencing relationship. The kind of relationship that God wants for us and with us. We experience that with other people. So that sharing of prayer requests, that opening up our lives, that vulnerability, we get to experience the goodness that happens when we do that. It's for the sake of relationship. So we should be sharing. We should be offering our prayer requests. We should be praying together in groups. Yes, Jesus is with us. But that doesn't mean he's not with us when we're in our bedroom, when we're by ourselves, we're out on a walk. He is always with us. So, if you've had those moments where it's like, man, I just don't know if I'm good enough. I don't hear Jesus. I don't sense him. Like, is he really with me? He is. He is. Nothing will ever change that. He is with you. No matter if you feel it or not, no matter if you feel like you warrant it or not, he is with you if you trust him. That doesn't change. And I think sometimes when we throw that verse out there, when we hear it, it's like, okay, two or three, that's great. The subtle implication that can sometimes sneak in, the bad news that seeps in is like, oh, but maybe he's not with me. I'm with other people, so I'm kind of adjacent to Jesus. No, 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 no. When we trust him, when we follow him, when we commit to him, he remains with us. That is what Jesus wants us to know. So, Jesus is with us always. So what does this look like? What's some maybe takeaways or, or points of application? Here's, here's a few thoughts of just a few different pieces that go together. So number one, uh, about our big picture, like what we're trying to do here, our skill, apply according to context. Uh, apply according to context. When you read a passage, when you see like a verse, what's happening there? Read the context. Pay attention to when it's coming. So Matthew 18 it's actually talking about reconciliation, restoration of relationships. Jesus is promising to be with us in that effort. That's the encouragement he wants to offer. Now, you might be like, how do I get better at this? Like, I don't know that I read the Bible and kind of get there all the time. That's okay. I think two things. One, what we've been talking about is reading in context. Continue to do that. But then ask the question, why? Why is this here? Really. And it's going to take a lifetime to really get good at this. It's something I'm still working on. Like, how do we apply the Bible? That's okay. That's supposed to be a journey. But I think if you ask that question, ask that question of why, you're going to start to walk towards that answer. And I do think that Jesus will be with you as you're trying to understand the scriptures. So apply according to context. Number one. Number two, trust your standing with Jesus. I think sometimes that subtle implication, oh, you know, if I'm with other people, there's more spirituality, but if I'm not, then there's less, and, you know, maybe I'm just not good enough. That 
is not true. Trust your standing with Jesus. Nothing changes that. No more amount of spirituality or, or group gatherings. Like, trust your standing with Jesus. Now, if you're here today, and you're like, I'm not sure where I stand with Jesus. Some of you, you've, you've made that choice. Like, I follow him. Like, I know. Like, I'm, I'm with him. He and I, we're connected. But if you're kind of like, I'm not sure right now. It's like, all right, Jesus, I want to go with you. You can decide that in your mind. You can say it out loud, and he's going to be right with you. You may still have questions. You may still have hang-ups. You may still have things that you're just kind of like, I'm not sure how to work all this out. That's okay. That's why he's there. He wants to help you work through it. And so you can make that decision right now if you want to. I go with you, Jesus. You can, you can pray that. You can ask him to begin to lead you, and he will always be there. Even if things don't go as you expect, he's right there with you. And trust that. Trust that standing with Jesus. That's number two. Number three, pray with other people. Absolutely. And pray by yourself. This verse, again, often is thrown in the context of like, hey, let's, let's gather together. And when we pray together, like, ah, oh, now Jesus is with us. Yes, that's true. And it's true he's with you by yourself. But continue to pray in both settings because it's the relationship. It's the value of sharing and, and being vulnerable, opening up and inviting other people to walk alongside you. We experience the relationship that Jesus wants us to experience. So there's immense value. There's things that happen when we pray together. So pray with people and pray by yourself too. These practices, these are helpful ways for us to experience our relationship with the Lord. And then finally, number four, seek reconciliation. Like I, I, that's what Matthew 18 is pointing us to. It's like when there's a, some sideways relationship, go after that. Like try to repair and restore because I will be with you. That's his promise. So I hope one of these, maybe one of them sticks out more than the others, or maybe all four in some different ways, and they're kind of disconnected in some, in some aspects, but they all point to this reality like Jesus is with us, always. And that's the big idea that I want you to walk away with today. It's not that, you know, when we're with other people, like, oh, okay, now he's more present. No, no, no. He is with you, always. I hope that's good news to you today. I hope that's encouragement for you today. Jesus is with you. He's walking alongside you. He is with you through everything that you face. Jesus is with us always.